Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Lee, the new and extended baby range. Flynn and you're very welcome to the Motherboard podcast. This podcast series will feature real mums talking about the beautiful but sometimes hard work of raising children today. Joining me in studio is Laura Doyle who is mum of four and also runs Love Life and Little Ones blog. Joanna Fortune who's a clinical psychotherapist and author of a wonderful new book called 15 Minute Parenting. Do check that out. And Avril White, mum of two who runs the Dublin City Mum blog. So you're all very, very welcome ladies. Lovely to see you all. Thank you. we're discussing the wobbler and toddler years. Now, it's slightly in the future for me, so I'm really interested, really interested to hear what you guys have to say. Um, my little fella is four weeks, so a um, little bit far off, but, you know, it will come around faster than I'll know. So, Laura, I'm going to go to you first. As a mother of four, you have plenty of experience when it comes to navigating the different stages. With your kids, did you find that they reached their milestones similarly? So crawling, walking, talking at the same times and ages. Um, or you know were they all different um yeah so they were they were all relatively similar in in reaching their developmental stages um they all i i tried not to focus really on when they were reaching their their stages i kind of just let them do their thing um on on my first i was more kind of watching when he would do stuff and and thinking you know he should be doing stuff at different at at specific months but on the rest of them I just kind of winged it um, and just let them reach their stages when when they reached it. And did you kind of speak to public health nurse and that's how you kind of measured how how well they were doing? Yes. Or was it other mums or because I I think that's I think sometimes mums can be quite competitive sometimes Mm -hmm. you know you hear um, little Lord Fauntleroy and he was talking and walking at four weeks old and betting on horses at six years and then he's Doogie Hauser and going to college at Mm. at 11 like I find that they're probably lying as well you know yeah I mean small chance yeah (laughs) that's yeah and did you find that I I tried to kind of not listen to other mums again for the same reason and I think you can put a huge amount of pressure on yourself listening to other mums because a mum will say oh my child is walking at you know 10 months and then you're thinking well why is it mine you know so no I didn't really listen to other mums um, for any of it because they're all different they'll all develop different and I've even noticed as a mum of four each one of my four developed differently they would have had the same parenting the same environment but they all walked definitely at different times you know not not all at the exact same time so they're all different and Avril what about you and your little people what ages are they yeah so my eldest Eva she's five and my youngest is two and a half she's almost three and they're completely different human beings I almost feel like they've been raised by an entirely different family (laughs) I think my first um, again I had a group I had my first in London and we did an antenatal class called an NCT class so we had a group of mum friends and I think we spent a year in the park talking about developmental milestones so I was very conscious now it was super and we had so much fun but there was a lot of emphasis on when you should be weaning when they should be crawling when they should be rolling when what when should they sit up we also had a free GP practice with a health nurse that was there every Wednesday so we, on the way home I'd like I'll just pop in and measure her milestones which you know when I look back I think it probably wasn't the healthiest thing to do 
But in saying that, she met all her milestones. So it, there, there was no anxiety involved in it. It was kind of an easy process. She was a very easy child. Um, and, you know, she walked at 12 months and it was, you know, it was, everything was fine. But then with my second, she was um, an entirely different child. Uh, really sweet little bundle. Uh, never really cried. Very loving, very kind. But she didn't really roll. She was a bump shuffler. She didn't walk till she was 16 months. And I didn't bat an eyelid. I just felt You're like... You're more relaxed than the second so time around. Yeah. First time around, I read every book, every blog. And you're watching every Twitch and every Completely. blink. We had a peer group of moms where we were constantly talking about child development, as I said, whereas the second time around I had my baby in Dublin, I didn't have that core group of moms mm. where we were constantly referring and comparing. So I felt like it was a radically different and easier experience, a less anxious experience. Mm. And she's a very happy, confident child. And I, yes, I brought her to the health nurse and I was supposed to bring her to the health nurse, but she was completely fine. And um yeah, so it, again, two very different children, two very different experiences. It's tough though, isn't it, that word should, because there's a real like empirical judgment on yourself. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good mother because my child should have walked. It's, mm-hmm. I think that's really tough. Joanna, I'll go to you from a professional standpoint. What are the milestones that kids should reach? For me, Avril, it's really not about the physical milestones we've been mentioning here so far. In the first year of life, I'm really looking for that first developmental milestone being trust. It's the psychosocial development of the child and their capacity to trust an adult to consistently, predictably meet their needs. And that's going to allow them to feel secure and safe. And that is the breeding ground for healthy attachment to develop in relationships. And that happens or not in the first year of life. So beyond that, if if your child is developing a capacity to trust and honestly, you don't have to go, my goodness, I didn't check that. How do I measure that? You don't. You feel it because a lot of what we do when we start talking about what our children should be doing is we're getting into a very left brain cognitive way of parenting our children and children are not wired that way. Their left brain really doesn't start developing until 18 to 24 months around language acquisition. So they're very much in the moment, right here, right now, emotionally right brain oriented and that's where they need us to meet them. So I would be encouraging anyone listening to get out of your head. Don't be worried about what they are or aren't doing. Mm -hmm. As you've said, there are really good public health nurse system who will be providing that overarching observation, checking that things are okay. And honestly, I mean, a bit like Laura was saying, you don't really pay that much attention, certainly in my experience, to doing the milestones unless you notice they're not doing them. Mm-hmm. When they yeah. are doing them, you kind of feel like, oh, I just go with it. Yeah. It's more when you feel, okay, this feels really late or I'm wondering this doesn't feel right. In which case, do not be going to anyone else whose little Lord Fontenroy, as you said, <laughs> did it at nine or ten months, but go to your public health nurse. Well, hilariously, when my sister had my niece, um, we were kind of worried because she. I just thought that she wasn't talking as much. Mm-hmm. She didn't have as many words. Um, and uh, we got her assessed anyway because, you know, I would be a strong believer in early intervention, mm-hmm. early recognition. And anyway, she turned out to be totally perfect, but we were just talking too much and talking for her. Yeah. And if we actually just, like, you know, I like to talk, <laughs> when we actually just, you know, mm-hmm. actually closed our mouths for two seconds, she came out in full sentences, yeah. not a bother. Yeah. And I so, think there's you know, no harm in that either. And if you see if you see something that you're thinking, okay, maybe they actually should be doing this, it's mm-hmm. no harm in getting it checked. And then somebody is going to say to you, they're totally fine. And then you'll relax and then they'll just do it. Exactly. You know, yeah. mind, exactly. It? And once you take the kind of the, the thought away from it, so you work 
worrying about it, then they'll they'll do it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And Joanna, I was really interested in something you said about kind of building resilience. You know, something I feel really strongly is that building an independent child, that a child who has healthy attachment. So on one hand, they, you know, get on well with their peers and their parents, but also have an inner resilience. You feel that that's very strong, that you that basically in the first year. Well, that's the foundation stone. They're not going to nail that in the first year, but they're going to get the required sort of breadcrumb trail to follow as they grow and develop. So if you develop that capacity for healthy trust in safe, predictable adults, your primary carers, for example, then that's really going to stand to you that later on, you're going to be more likely to encourage your child to try new things, um, to take risks that are developmentally appropriate, of course. I mean, we do, and I, I'm just thinking like we do have this very competitive edge of my child walked at 10 months and we, <laughs> we run nature, the risk yeah, but it is but we run the risk of normalising mm. actually a very early walker that's not normal exactly. that's very early yeah. quite normal to be 16, 17 months mm. walking so we've got to come out of our heads and say what's the hurry we are as parents at risk of trying to rush our children to have we're, we're obsessed with raising yeah. very advanced children yeah, when actually the there's no bits. developmental mm. benefits to being mm. very advanced mm. I know that sounds like a contradiction mm-hmm. but emotionally there aren't Children who take their time, just go through it at their own pace and are not rushed or pressured emotionally thrive. Mm-hmm. And Avril, I agree entirely. Yeah, and there's a real difference between building independence on one hand and then being kind of what I would call a helicopter parent on the mm. other. So, mm. you know, and it's such a balancing act. How do you find for you with your kids yeah, it to is build a- that independence on one yeah. hand? but. Yeah, I think with my first, I definitely, I probably didn't allow her to be so independent because I felt like she needed mothering and minding. And I knew it probably wasn't the right thing to do because I read all the books, I'm educated. But then, you know, we are human, we have flaws and certainly my mothering skills are not perfect. And, you know, I just think I was reading something recently about like my, my five-year-old getting ready for school. Sometimes the house is crazy, we're in a mad rush and I'm like pulling off her pyjamas and throwing on her clothes and I realised no just let her do it yeah. get up 10 minutes earlier because if I'm doing it it'll make her think she can't do it you know so now even though this morning was painful I was like take off your pyjamas <laughs> inside my internal voice is going oh my god hurry up but you have to be calm and quiet and instil that confidence in her because it is really important and um, but I think I know we, we focus a lot about independence but I kind of feel like it, it's vital and it's very important to raising you know normal little human beings but I think if you just give them so much love and encouragement and kindness. And I think that builds confidence. And I think that builds independence as well. Absolutely, by giving them a foundation of something. That foundation of love. It doesn't really matter if you don't hit everything. But I think making them feel secure and love and setting the right boundaries is vital to them becoming regular and being regulated. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things as well with how do you I'll go to you first Laura dealing with bad behaviour versus good behaviour I mean you four Mm. so you need to have boundaries within your house I presume because there's four little people and you know you guys as well yeah yeah so it will go to hell in the handbag I'd say if if, if, if there's and it does you know and and even with boundaries it still does um but I suppose my way of parenting is with them 
it's to kind of leave them to it a little bit, even with with fighting. Like they fight a lot. You know, I've I've three girls under four, like so they fight. <laughs> but I kind of leave them to it a little bit because I think that's really important in their development. I can't keep like helicopter parenting. I don't kind of get involved all the time. I don't say you should do this, you should do that. I let them kind of fight it out. If it gets really bad, I'll get involved. But really, I like them to kind of figure things out themselves, especially the three year old and the two year old. They kind of probably disagree the most, but I try not to get involved. And Joanna, you have one little person at home. How do you feel about kind of setting boundaries? And I know from a professional standpoint, but also as a mothering standpoint as well. Well, I think it's vital a bit like, you know, Laura's saying, but it's not just vital for surviving parenting. You know, as an adult, we we need there to be some kind of a system around boundaries. Mm. Developmentally, children need boundaries because it lets them know that there is somebody bigger, stronger, wiser and kind who will stop the situation getting too out of control, Mm -hmm. who's going to stop stop me from going too far. Now, no child ever said, thanks so much for those boundaries. I love that. I love when you say no and you mean it. I really, that helps me. But later on in life, they show you that it helped them by how they behave. And that, because this is this buzzword of independence, Mm. that doesn't just happen. Mm. Boundaries and limit setting are a key part of that. And that's about being consistent and predictable. So, I mean, it's very normal in the second year, 12 to 24 months, you know, the so-called terrible twos, which are actually unpleasant but (laughs) developmentally very normal too that your child demands and wants things because now that you've met their needs in year one they hit you with their wants I want something I want Mm -hmm. ice cream probably and then you say no you can't have ice cream we're having dinner but Mm. they will accept unlikely let's be honest Mm. test or defy that limit they're going to scream shout perform stamping shouting Mm -hmm. all of that and the key part is the next stage that you say no we're not having ice cream. Or again, that's just an example, whatever it could be. be. Because then your child learns it's okay for me to want things, but it's not up to me if I get it. It's up to the adult in charge. Now, nobody gets that right all of the time. Nobody, like Mm. absolutely nobody, you'd be a saint. But if you get it mostly right most of the time, you're giving them that sense of... I'm going to follow your lead as much as possible, but I will step in and take charge when necessary. And that's reassuring. Yeah. And I think that consistency, you know, is so important because if you're saying, if you're doing all the hard work by saying no, 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 and then dad comes home or granny comes home or somebody and Mm. goes, yes, of course. I'd say that is so frustrating. What do you think, Avril? Yeah, it's a nightmare. Like my mother breaks every single rule in the book and I mean certainly we would have been disciplined but from a very loving environment but she's completely radically changed her per- her parenting skills because when she comes to my house unfortunately there's a new TK Maxx in Mullingar and every time she comes there's a new plastic toy that arrives in the house and it's a nightmare because our house is filling up with rubbish that we don't even need but also she gives them whatever she wants and even when we're in when we go down to home and it's oh, it's like 12 o'clock so I need to give them lunch my dad will come in from the shop and he's got a bag full of ice creams and I'm like no you have to say no because it's so confusing for children because they think granny's brilliant she gives us everything we want and then mum's always saying no why is mum so boring and mean to why us why is mum so boring and I mean I think that comes as well with um, the difference between the, the father and the mother as well because so my husband works long hours he comes home and so when they see dad they're like brilliant dad, we're going to have so much fun with dad and we, dad does a lot of the playing whereas I do a lot of the work and so that's difficult as well. So we kind of have to set boundaries there where they don't just see him as being 
the best fun in the world and mum is always like structure and I'm not really into the big structure and the routine but there has to be something you know Absolutely. to give them some That's level really of security. That's really stereotypical though isn't it? Like our house is a little bit like that yeah. and then it's me saying okay like when, when my husband comes home from work and they're playing and then I'll say okay bedtime and then they're like oh you know yeah. they, they think that I'm the bad one you know and I'm saying yeah. to my husband no like you need to stop playing with them and you need to say it's bedtime I don't want to be interrupting the fun and then I'm like Completely. the I'm like the fun mom. police and he's like yes, the, me too. let's it have really all the fun is in the house. so challenging I think it's for really a lot of yeah. mothers that they do feel that they have to be the bad cop the whole time yeah. and then everybody else gets yeah. I don't know why that happens but it just does and I get it because for my husband like he hasn't seen them all day he yeah. wants to play yeah. with them he wants to you know yeah. rough play in the living room with mm. them and read them their stories and he doesn't want them to go to bed because no, he hasn't exactly. been with them but sometimes I've been with them for the last 10 hours and I want them to go to bed yeah. you know like, so I need my cup of tea yeah, I need to sit down yeah. on the couch I'm, I'm done with playing and, yeah. and reading and you know I want my time on my own so yeah yeah, that's the same in our house. Mm, it is. It's. I, I. I find it when I was little. Anyway, it was it was the same then, and I can already see it happening with mm. a four week old. Mm. Um, for example, me getting no sleep last night, mm. then coming into work and he falls asleep five minutes for his dad, no problems yeah. whatsoever, and he's yeah. only four weeks old. Yeah. So we'll <laughs> see that, that that it starts from right the beginning. Do any of did any of you have or do you have any fussy eaters? Yeah. Who, Laura? Which, which, what, which one of your so kids? So I have three unbelievable eaters. I mean, like shouting from the rooftop, amazing eaters, and one absolute like dreadful eater. And I can say that because she's so bad. So I've experienced both. She eats nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. She eats porridge and she eats brown bread. And really nothing else. What age um, is she? She's two. Okay. So, she, so she's two hard. and a half. That's mm. so stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It, it was stressful. And now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not stressing about it anymore. Mm. I'm like, she's not going to die of starvation. And that's all I'm telling myself. You know, mm. if she eats porridge for a full year, at least it's porridge. You know. At least it's not Nutella. Yeah. You know, if she was on marshmallows and chips for. Yeah. 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 So like I'll still give her exactly what we're having for dinner. I'll still give her all her meals. Like occasionally she'll eat a little bit of fruit or she'll eat. But it's more about the texture for her. Like she'll yeah. put something in her mouth and spit it straight out, you know, shiver down her back and she just will not tolerate it. So I'll give her her dinner like everybody else. And then my 10 month old will eat her dinner <laughs> and the two year old's dinner yeah, yeah. every single yeah. night. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Same parents, yeah. same genetic ingredients yeah. same rules same yeah. boundaries yeah. and yet you have yeah. three and then one I mean I find that fascinating because they're not a herd you can't it's not a one size fits all they are their own little people and I think it's often helpful to start from a place of saying who does this child remind me of and I don't mean who mm. do they look like mm. but who in my life or my partner's life do they remind us of and then step back and go and how do I feel about that person that they remind me of because mm. you think we all think we're parenting children in exactly the same way but we're not mm. um, we have so broadly speaking yeah. parenting principles that are the same but we interact engage and respond to our children in different ways and what we make available to them they will avail of in very different ways mm. and so that's why you know what works with one child may not work with another and you've got to be a different parent so when they throw it back at you and say oh you're always like that with that one and you never do that for me maybe that's true yeah I would mm. entirely agree because because I think when you've got a, a, an eldest and a youngest, you, you treat them very differently. And my yeah, expectations totally. of my eldest 
are very different from my expectations of my youngest. And even though my youngest is two and a half, so when my eldest is two and a half, she was flying and she was quite independent and she was doing a lot of um, things by herself. And even her language, I feel like her words, she was much more articulate. But I feel like I treat my youngest like a baby. And in fact, I've only started calling her a toddler, even though she's like two and a half. And she's like, (laughs) I potty trained her much later. I did everything later. But she's a very lovable, happy little human being. So I'm I'm very happy with the way that she's been raised. But like that, I think I'm tougher on my eldest because my expectations of her are more and I'm definitely softer with the youngest. And it's hard to get the balance, isn't it? Oh, it's so hard to get the balance because you're thinking, is it too much? Is it not enough? It's like a kind of Goldilocks conundrum, isn't it? What's just right? Yeah, exactly. And actually, you'll you'll get it right because they're going to cue you on that works for me, that doesn't work for me. And it's about being attuned and in the moment. It's like you were saying, you you were saying winging it, but actually you're very in the moment Mm. with your children think what do they need because fussy eating it's often not the child who has an issue with that but it's us adults because it's Mm. the one thing as mothers as parents is we want our children to accept nurture and sustenance from us we want to know we are giving especially in Irish culture it's such a huge part of raising children because it takes up so much of your day isn't it I feel like that's all I do I I make a meal think about it I clean up after the meal then then it's the next snack then another meal that's all I do is feed my children all all day long yeah so when they then reject your your food Mm -hmm. your effort it can be really triggering for us because a you've spent ages cooking Mm -hmm. some salt sugar free healthy baby led weaning inspired you know meal and they go don't like it that is like taking a bullet sometimes you're just sitting there kind of going you're rejecting me not the food you know and that's what makes us but also you know it's so good for them as well and they need and they need to eat yeah yeah so I've kind of just try to stop stressing about it to not you're right I think that's the, mm. the key well it's certainly been an insightful first half of our motherboard podcast stay tuned because in part two we'll be discussing the importance of routine and socialization as your child starts entering preschool motherboard proudly brought to you by Lidl's loopy Lou, the new and extended baby range to part two of our motherboard podcast. Laura, how important is it for your kids to stick to your routine? I imagine it is so important. Yeah, it's vital. Um, it's vital to get out the door in the mornings to, to, to get anything done. Um, as a working mum of four as well, it's vital for me. Um, but also it's really important for them and, and the kids thrive with the routine like I see just even when they had their summer holidays from school their behaviour started to change a little bit when they're out of their routine so I was dying for them to go back to school just to get back into a, a structured routine for their behaviour for them for me as well entirely but but also a little bit for them um I've just heard every mother that's listening nodding their head <laughs> with you saying how happy you were when your kids went back yeah. to school. Everybody had that silent, you know, yes, I get that. And I think that every mother can see a change in their, their child's behaviour when they've been out of school as well. You know, that once they're out of their routine, I think they get a little bit bored, they get a little bit... Um, 
I suppose antsy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Joanna, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? When kids thrive on, like we talked, we talked in the, you know, the first part about uh, boundaries. So routine follows naturally on from that, I presume. It does. And really, you know, we could even substitute the word routine in this context for structure, like mm. children like structure. And that doesn't have to be misunderstood as rigid. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Structure is, when it's working well, is flexible and fluid. Mm-hmm. But it's providing a scaffolding, think of it that way, within which your children can make choices and be their own little boss and do what they want and pick up and drop and chop and change. But you're providing this scaffolding around them within which they can move. That's when structure works. And the summer just throws that mm. up in the air because you can keep some of it in a structure, but by nature of, you know, they're brighter evenings, it's later to bed, later to get up, the kind mm-hmm. of things that you're doing in your day, you might be doing structured activities, you might not, you might be simply sitting at home. Children can't predict with certainty what's coming next. And that just brings that little nugget of chaos yeah. into the mix. Yeah. And Avril, you must find that with the girls as well. Yes. Um, as a friend of mine says, that God, God invented black-eyed blinds so that everybody could survive the summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Like, I, I completely agree. And I think having a routine is vital. And, uh, you know, you're going to instill more confidence in your child. They'll feel more secure and, you know, they'll have their boundaries and their routine. But I all, I'm a firm believer as well that flexibility is key for your own mental health as well as everything else because you you can't as a new parent as well particularly don't stick to two as you said it, the routine does not have to be rigid I think a fluid routine is better and it's it's more important for everybody for everyone's health and happiness like that if you're trying to get your child to nap in the middle of the day don't in- encourage them just to nap in the cot get them to nap in the car, get them to nap in the buggy so that you're teaching them that it's okay to leave the house at two o'clock as opposed to being in the house at two o'clock because exactly. you want to meet a friend for a coffee. Well, why mm-hmm. not just put your kid in the buggy and go out the door? And I think overall... That's, really, then, that's fantastic advice. Because yeah. then you're, you're going to be happier. Your child's going to be happier because it's very and you're hard. you're more flexible yeah, that when different exactly. things Exactly. And I think being a new parent, your whole world changed. You've got a completely new identity. And it can be, sometimes it can be a very lonely and isolating experience. And it's very hard to be at home all day with a new baby because you do really struggle. And even if you go and meet a neighbour for a coffee, that's so uplifting. And, you know, you're brushing your hair, you're putting on a bit of makeup, you're going to feel a bit different, you're going to feel a bit more positive about yourself. Mm. And then you're going outside, you're getting some fresh air. So it's a really healthy experience. And that's why having that fluidity and flexibility in your routine is vital. That's just my opinion. And I agree entirely. And I think it stops you running the risk of feeling like a failure. So mm. if you're really tied to a rigid routine. So you're, and you're basically doing tick box exactly. exercises. And, and if you, you miss yeah. those tick boxes, it's you know, detrimental to your Then you mental. feel like yeah, I failed. So it's all gone wrong. And, you know, that's on me. And mm. look at the outcome of that. But the problem with these really kind of rigid routines is our, our babies, our children, they're not privy to that. They weren't mm. there when we. Read the same book. They haven't. Yeah. And they don't perform accordingly. So, you know, being flexible, allowing yourself to kind of fall over a bit and pick mm-hmm. yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. It also models for our children that yeah. we can do that kind of rupture and repair, that mm-hmm. things can go wrong and we can still get them back on track. Exactly. And That's one thing I'm very interesting in talking to you all about is, and one of the things, even with my four-week-old, that I'm kind of already dreading is when it comes to potty training, Venture. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things, like, funny sometimes. Yeah. But... Um, Laura, did yours all kind of potty train at the same no. time? No, no. So, so 
our eldest, who's nine now, he potty trained close to three. Um, it was kind of when he was ready, I kind of went by his kind of cues. Um, and he he was just a normal, in inverted commas, um, potty training journey. My two girls, though, at 22 months, both of them, like two months before they turned two, took their nappies off, sat up on the toilet and just... Hey, fantastic. Mm. But you know what? At the time, I was like, no, because it's two <laughs> weeks kind of of like watching them, asking them, do they need to go? It's a little bit limiting. And, and both times, yes, like even when they're ready, there still is accidents. Of course, yeah. You know, you're kind of limited. You can't go out for a long time in the car or stuff like that. And I had newborn babies as well at the time when each one of them potty trained. So actually, I was kind of like, are you sure you're ready? You know? <laughs> I'm not ready. Yeah. What about a few more months of nappies? Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's a lot easier in some ways to just change a nappy before you go out and then you're fine change yeah. it when you get there and then you're not constantly going where are the yeah. toilets it's actually easier yeah. in nappies yes, yes. So, so they decided they wanted to potty train um, and I really mean that when I say it because I didn't want them to potty train mm -hmm. um, in the long run it was brilliant but I think that the second girl definitely watched her sister, you know, so even before that, she was kind of trying to get up on the toilet as well because they're so mm. close in age. It's 18 months between them. So the second one kind of potty trained watching her sister. But the first one at 22 months just decided. And at nighttime, she didn't want a nappy and she's never, ever wet the bed. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Totally encouraged. Yeah. Like, she was ready. Yeah. Yes. I'm 36 yes. and I can't say that about myself. <laughs> 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 You'll get there. <laughs> on, the, on the flip side of that, though, like you can almost have in the same as self-weaning like self-potty training you can also have kids that like you know I think when I was little I would have worn a nappy until now if I could have gotten away with it there are some kids that just they're just really not bothered yeah. like they're yeah. not interested they have other things intense. that are engaging them and you know I'm not taking this on and it can feel like a battle which is when potty training is going to be really difficult and I think like as Laura was saying there one of the things that helps, I won't say guarantees, but helps a successful potty training journey is waiting for your child to let you know, I'm ready for mm -hmm. this. Because then you're you're almost taking that collaborative approach. We're working on this together rather than you saying, you've got to do this. And then you meet resistance. And now you're into a battle. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I don't think any parent sets out to force potty training on their child, but it's often coming from, maybe I need you to start preschool mm -hmm. or, and they don't do nappy mm -hmm. changing. Yeah. That's very, very difficult because your child may not actually be ready. And it's going to take longer. You're going to have more accidents. You're going to have more bedwetting you might have dry days wet nights mm. You're, it's just going to be a different experience I think and, and Avril always you know providing with um, amazing stories that yeah. you know these are the things that we like to slag our kids off at when they're 21 and you know do you have any amazing stories with the girls I don't about amazing stories but with my first I think I definitely trained her too early at, at that friends in London were training their kids at like two and I was like oh my god I should really be doing the same thing I was just going to say that there I think yeah. there is a bit of a pressure there is pressure. Oh my God, there's yeah. 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 Like that group because people are saying, oh, like my one's potty trained yeah. at two and a half and you're going, okay, mine Mine's is definitely nappy, so not ready. Really do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there were signs that she was ready, but she was two and two months and I, I trained her and it definitely took longer and yeah. there were more accidents and she finally got it. But with my second, um, oh God, she was so ready. Like literally we were going for a walk one evening and we were standing at the door and she actually pulled down her leggings and whipped off her nappy and threw it at me right. and then walked, went on the walk and then she decided to do a wee in a bush and this is her new thing. <laughs> 
and like when we're out, <laughs> and she calls it. She calls it clear. butt, and she's delighted with herself. And what can I say? Because I have to say, I'm so proud, and I have to give her yeah. praise. Because if she holds it in and wets herself, it's so much worse. So I'm like, you are wonderful. I'm like, oh my god, nobody see me. Let's hide behind the car. So this is just the phase that we're in now. But she's had no accidents. She's brilliant. And, you know, her, I still do nappies at nighttime, but they're dry every morning. So I kind of feel like, God, I could almost yeah. get rid of them entirely. And she started Montessori yesterday and she was nervous. Actually, the thing she does is she waits until she's bursting. So she comes, she goes, I'm bursting. It's like oh, quick, instantly have to yeah. go through. So yeah. she was nervous when we brought her into Montessori. I was like, no, you have to tell the teacher you need to go through. She's like, oh, no, mommy, I want you to do it. But she did yesterday. And you, you just, you, I think you don't give your kids enough credibility because you think how will they survive without me but they do mm, and they're, they're, and they're yeah. capable and they're able miraculously as it seems and that hurts as well a little it bit it really because, hurts because yeah. it's like they don't need me I'm not the centre of their yeah, world totally. for everything yeah completely like, I mean okay my little one started and I'll probably start crying if I talk about it but she started Montessori yesterday and I was really nervous and anxious about how she was going to get on everyone said okay oh, she's, you know, she's very attached to me but maybe as a result of that, she's quite confident, I guess. And she walked in the door and she, I was like, I love you. Goodbye, goodbye. And she was just like, tossed off, held a little yeah. girl's hand and not a bothering her. And it was so much more emotional for me than it was for her. I think we have to almost positively reframe that difficult piece of, oh, you know, it's hard when they don't want us to actually switch that around and go, I've done enough. Yeah. I've actually yeah. done enough yeah. to empower and enable my child to cope with this experience. Mm, yeah, and you've given her that confidence. Yes. Okay. And that's going back to what we discussed like in part one about building that independence that that's the fruit of your labour is that they mm. actually turn around and say you know I actually don't need you that much yeah. you know I'm, I've got this it's yes. heartbreaking <laughs> but, but I guess I've done a good job but that's, but that's, yeah. that's it's okay yeah, and ultimately yeah. kind of that is what we're doing though isn't it like ultimately we're raising them to be independent to I know. be and it's able hard, it's to live in the world the parents to detach, totally. isn't but isn't it? that yes. the job of parenting the job of parenting is to raise independent yes. adults no it's to raise a little <laughs> look after me in yeah. my elder years there's that too it's still that absolutely <laughs> and one of the things that I I remember my my mum was absolutely fastidious about was bedtime that there had to be a, a particular hour that got ready and there was a kind of a whole you know you got your jammies and all of that mm -hmm. and I can see it with my friends they do the same and I, I have such respect for people that do that is that really hard to do Laura I'll go to you first do you how do you how do I how am I going to get my four, four week old in a couple of months to go to sleep <laughs> yeah that I can't answer because <laughs> I don't know if any of mine sleep maybe my nine-year-old um for us on our nine-year-old we were definitely strict with bedtime and but like when you have four, it's just not realistic to think that they're all going to go down at half seven or they're all going to be in their jammies and sound asleep by eight o'clock and we'll be sitting down. Like that's the dream, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of Mary Poppins. It's nice to hear that that doesn't happen. No, yeah. like sometimes it does and that's mm -hmm. great. And sometimes it just doesn't. And that's OK, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, for us we're not really too structured on a bedtime. N now that they've gone back to school, it's a little bit more structured. But no, we're not too structured on a bedtime. And that works for us. And it works for us at the moment. Um, also, we're totally outnumbered. So, yeah. you know, it's not like one can be with one and one can be with yeah. the and other. It could be a revolution. Yeah. 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 So always a nine-year-old, he'll go to bed last and he, he's downstairs while the others go to bed. Sometimes they'll go down easy, sometimes they won't. So we're, we're very loose with bedtime. Now, when I say loose, like within the hour, and we do what works for us. So and I think that's important. until 2am. <laughs> no, no, <Yeah. laughs> not yet. Well, do you want the kids do 
need a huge amount of sleep and when. Really do. Yeah. You know, really um, the ages we're talking about, you're looking at 10 to 12 hours, ideally of unbroken sleep. But, you know, that's you know, also you the that, idea. There's an actual tear. <laughs> yeah. You'll get down, there. You'll get there. Down down but he's four weeks old and it's difficult because they're at four weeks, I'm just trying to adjust to what is this crazy mm-hmm. place I find myself in yeah, with is. all these new sensations and temperature changes and things like that. So sensorially, it's very unsettling. I think, you know, we, we can again hear this myth of, you know, the child who does this this and this you will as Laura said find what works for you but it children are general they do need the sleep like I know myself at home I have I almost whisper this now mm. a very good sleeper <laughs> and she always has don't been Mothers will hate you I know I, I've said it out loud now so you know that's going to change but and if it's around 7, 7.30, she's queuing, I want to go to bed. I'm ready to go to bed. She's taking hands. She's trying to go to the stairs. And if wow. we miss that window, because we have something going on. And it might not it you. Can, it's almost like I blinked and missed it. And now it's going to take an hour to get her to lie mm. down. But if I had gone in that moment, mm. she would have gone straight to sleep. So sometimes it is our children are letting us know, now's the moment. Now, oh, you know what? You missed it. Now you're going to have to yeah, work tough. for it. Yeah. <laughs> and Avril, with your girls, were they the same or did you adapt? Not really. Yeah, no, they they do, they sleep in the same room and they go down at the same time but they're very different sleepers. Um, so my eldest was a much more difficult sleeper. I know, it's very difficult because my second, she goes out like a light and she's the dream baby to go to sleep but she'll still sometimes wake up in the night and roar, Mammy! But she just wants a hug so I give it to her and I, I usually just bring her to the bed with me. I know it's like the biggest failing as a parent or you're not supposed to do it but it works for us and she goes back to sleep and I go back to sleep and it's grand my second sorry my first she really struggles to go to sleep at night time and we have this battle where we have the routine we do the bath we do the stories and it's we try and keep it really calm we play by the rules but they don't always work so she'll go to bed and she'll sometimes come down I'm too hot and she'll have taken off all her her clothes I'm too cold I'm hungry then you're like maybe she is hungry so I'll give her some Mm. food but no she's just tricking us because she's not a bit hungry (laughs) so I think you have to be consistent so we kind of broke the back in it with her starting back to school so she went to bed let's say Monday night I think she came down about 15 times and each time I was like no upstairs I just kept bringing her upstairs yeah. and I kept going whereas ordinarily I would have said I'll sit in the couch we'll wrap a rug around you and she'll cuddle into me and it's like the dream for her and she wins yeah. you know so I was really consistent in my approach I put her to bed and to be fair it's kind of worked and last night she went to bed I gave her a hug and a kiss and she went to sleep now if and that happens tonight or not I don't know but I, I felt like I won a little parenting. When you are starting crash in preschool with kids, it's so important because particularly when you're a working mom or even just have lots of kids or trying to get out, you need to follow that routine because if they're going to bed really, really late, then a tired, cranky child in the morning. Like any of us. Nobody's good on not enough sleep. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And then we can pass that between us like a little hot potato of Mm. irritation. You know, you're sleep deprived, so you're not at your best and you just want your child then to do it. They're sleep deprived and they're like, I want to move at a snail's pace Mm -hmm. today. And so actually everybody's just being irksome because we're sleep deprived. You don't want to start off every day with Mm. a a battle. Of course, not in that tension. Mm. My sister, who I think is an amazing mother, but one of the things that she does with her daughter is that she so always says she picks her battles and yeah. she said that one of the things with um, her daughter was she was very um, specific about what clothes that she would wear or not wear and at the start 
Emma would, my sister would, exactly. And then she said, I'm not going to start the day every day with a battle. So let her wear this, that. It all has to match Mm -hmm. with everything has to match. So if, if she's going to do that, then do that. But that's easier than having a row every single morning. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, picking your battles is essential and that's definitely when you, you know, there will be things where you have to use your serious voice and Mm -hmm. your big boundaries and that's one that goes, oh, you know, that's a child wishing to express themselves and have some degree of control over a routine they maybe don't feel they have a lot of control over. Mm -hmm. So if I can control what I'm going to wear in the morning, that gives me some degree of power and it is something you can give them. I think that's really good advice because both my daughters do that and even my two-year-old wants to dress how she wants to dress and even this morning morning she ch- I had her little outfit picked out and it was perfect and really cute and then she's got something really random she's, like, she's wearing mustard leggings and she's got this pink top on it and I, I was like but you look at she looks great her, and herself and she's delighted that she picked her own outfit it really doesn't matter. and I she's still really cute so what about it so that's such valuable advice but I think that's really important for them as well to pick their own clothes to, to have that bit of independence yeah. so for us I would pick two outfits the night before and I let them pick okay. which one they want to wear that's, so yeah. then they're kind of excited the next morning they've they've chosen this but actually I've chosen both so I kind of get my input there Very as well good, yeah. um, and then there's no battles in the morning because mm-hmm. they've they've picked their clothes but just to go back Avril as well about what you said just before about you know bringing them into the bed and that's failing as a parent yeah. I don't think that is failing as a parent okay, you know I think that thanks and I think that's being honest so <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people um, do it and sometimes people which really irritates me mm. are afraid to say what's yes. normal in their house yeah. so then everyone has the misinformation that that's not normal and, and everybody so thinks lovely. that they, yeah. they should be sleeping in a cot and you know they should go down at 7 o'clock sleep mm. 12 hours in their cot and you don't make eye con- contact you don't look at them you don't touch them but like f- whatever works for you ultimately yeah. we all want sleep yeah. and we all want a happy of course, and content and whatever child that I think it depends if it takes on the bringing night. them into the bed yeah. one night a week two nights a week if that works every night and, of the week yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my like big thing co-sleep. is by the time so, they're 18 want them out yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> or else we just yeah. have to keep extending yeah. out and like. isn't it so lovely when you meet other mothers and finally they're like yeah my child does it too you're like it's okay we're in it together yeah. and we don't our, you know our lives aren't perfect our mothering skills are not perfect and neither are our children but so what about it isn't good enough do you know that I, no, I would always say that perfect exist. is not good enough because yeah. if we're not modelling mistakes mm. and then making repair from those mistakes we're doing our kids a disservice we're telling them they must be perfect and yeah, we're not exactly. we're not encouraging them to learn from mistakes Mm. So I actually think throw perfect out the window and good enough is good enough. And I think everybody's I perfect is phrase. different. I think that's so brilliant. Good enough yeah. is good enough. And it, but it really is. I'll it's model all my yeah. skills on that. <laughs> but we co-sleep and for me okay. that's perfect. You know, our, te- our 10 month old. It works for you, Lauren. It works for Yeah, and that's and my that's perfect. Lovely. You know, she, she sleeps soundly. She's happy. And yeah. she actually doesn't even have a cot. She's in okay. our bed until she, she needs one. Um, and for me, that's what works. It's so funny because my so my two year old has a cot and she does sleep in it most of the time. But as a treat, the other night she was like, "Mommy, can I sleep in your bed?" And I was mm. like, "Yeah, no problem, love." But she's so territorial with me, so I put her in the bed. And my husband came to me. She was like, "Daddy, get out of here!" Yeah. And she was like, yeah, yeah. "Go to your bed. Yeah. This is my bed." And she literally pushed him out of the bed. But anytime he comes near me, she's like, "My mammy, oh, yeah. yes, my mammy," and it's adorable. I don't know how healthy that is, but it's very cute. I don't think worry about that at all. Like. Okay. I would be thinking, you know, when she's 12 and doesn't want to know you, you need to have that memory in your yeah. memory. Yeah. 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 So that you, you wouldn't can let go of my hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And when I woke up the next morning, I looked at her and she was like smiling up at me. She was like, yeah. mommy, <laughs> she was this close to my face. It 
is amazing with kids though how on one hand they can be like that one minute and the other one mm. they start school and all of a sudden you know there are new not particularly fantastic behaviours so one of the things that I find that some of my friends discuss is that all of a sudden their kids start behaviours that they would never have seen at home biting scratching mm. um, hitting Joanna, why does that happen? And if it does happen when your kids start school, what can you do about it? I mean, look, it, it's it's so common. It's, you know, it's not, you know, if that's going to happen, that's going to happen. And maybe not to your child. Your child might be the biter or the bitey, you know, but it is going to happen in their environment. Because it must be hard if you, if you, you know, if your kid comes home and they've big bite marks on of them. Of course you know, it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard on, you know, the childcare provider and they've got to give you an incident report and all of that stuff. When the reality is that is a form of community. Communication. And again, I'm not saying condone it and ignore it. Children need to hear a very clear no. But also put it in mind developmentally that I don't have the language and verbal capacity to say, mm-hmm. gosh, this group care environment I find myself in <laughs> is overwhelming. Can we talk? That's not going to happen. So I'm going to reach out to the nearest thing in my way, some other child's nice fleshy arm, and I'm going to bite. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I'm saying I've reached my tolerance limit. I'm done. I need to be removed from the situation. I need to be co-regulated down. So we ha- how we respond to biting and hitting, you know, it has to be within the... Co- if they're under four, it is a form of communication. You still come down to their eye level. I would always say... I, oh, so I shouldn't bite them back. <laughs> Do you know, there was a school of thought around that, Avril. Like, that did happen. Yesterday. It was on the radio yesterday. I'm going to be very said, honest and, and say that yeah. I would have thought given a nyomp back and... so yeah. yeah I think know. in the 70s they did that. I yeah. think it was very popular um, parenting yeah. advice I think ultimately as I've said you know people always are doctors, doing the best they can but I do think that was encouraged mm. no you want to come down to their eye level but I would always say don't come down to the eye level of an angry toddler without holding their hands because you put yourself at the perfect height for a punch mm. so you know you want to hold their hands really selling this to me. you want to rub their little hands in circles because you're bringing touch so and rhythm and synchrony yeah. and exactly yeah. that mm. and, yeah. because it's proprioceptive exactly. tight input and it's yeah. reassuring yeah. when everything else is feeling yeah. out of control and anxiety that deep pressure touch yes. is reassuring yeah. and you want to say no but then very quickly redirect them to something more positive to do because if you can't they don't do cause and effect under four they certainly mm-hmm. don't do it consistently so when you're there going why did you bite why did you bite they Didn't don't they don't have an answer yesterday? to that question no but they can't. do know when you end with are you listening to me the answer is yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> no matter yeah. what the question is yes. so I do think you've got to kind of manage expectations of children understand that going into be it Montessori or some kind of group care environment for the first time is a big transition for them. So that's exactly why it does occur at those Absolutely. times because that's a highly mm-hmm. stressful Absolutely. Exactly yeah. for your for your little person. Mm-hmm. So that's that's you know now why I, you do need to say no but you mm. then need to redirect to something else. So I've learned a very important lesson <laughs> to not bite anybody anyone. <laughs> not anyone <laughs> yeah. and one of the things as well I think it's you so want your kids to do well and when they start school mm-hmm. Laura you must have seen that when they start playing with other kids and socialising outside of their sibling group mm. did your kids interact differently with other children and was that challenging for you in a good or, or bad way no I have to say they, they all got on really well Um interacting with other kids. Um, I would have did a lot of play dates and I definitely joined groups every time I had a baby and I found that really important. So they would have been around kids 
and their siblings a lot. So thankfully, I they kind of eased into all of that very easily. Um, I do have a biter, so my two-year-old's bites uh, a lot not other kids yes hopefully never but her <laughs> sister so my four-year-old is the softest little girl in the world and the two and a half year old just isn't and she bites all the time like leaves marks bruises occasionally blood oh and um, yeah it's 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 a stress but I try not to stress too much about it but but like you said mm. um like she'll do it like if, if the older one takes a toy off her yeah. or something yeah. she'll do it when she doesn't have the words to say yeah. that's really unfair like yeah. you've just taken what I've been playing with for the last 10 minutes yeah. and ran off so yeah. trying to trying to deal with that stress yeah. in the situation yeah. thank you so much um, to my lovely panel today guys it really has been absolutely brilliant and so interesting and I, I hope our listeners get a lot of take home stuff about that there are lots of different types of normal nothing is perfect and Joanna that amazing saying you know good enough is good enough yeah. I, I love that I'm actually mm-hmm. going to get the printed on bumper stickers yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely trademarked <laughs> um, thank you all for listening lastly we'd love if you could rate and review the Motherboard podcast on iTunes take care everybody Motherboard proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Lou the new and extended baby range <laughs>